you cannot burn the bridges to the point where your guys are unhappy uh, because that unhappiness leaks into everything that they do. And it's very clear from the reporting that Mike Kafka is unhappy and it's a relationship that Dable is going to have to repair. And I don't think the way to do that is to strip Mike Kafka of the play calling while you block him from a potential move where he would be a play call. Welcome into the show. It's great to be back on here for another off season edition of the Giants Wire podcast. I'm Ryan O'Leary playing host. I'm joined as always by the great Dan Benton, the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. Dan, how is the offseason treating you so far, my man? Well, it was been a little slow to start. And then obviously in the last week or so got a little bit busier here. Uh, we kind of tried to time this podcast around the Giants hiring process. And um, perhaps that was foolish on our part because uh, I don't think anybody anticipated the defensive coordinator search to last as long as it did. But here we are. There's only a couple assistant coaching uh, vacancies that remain. Otherwise, the staff is pretty much intact at this point, and there are a lot of new faces. Just a quick reminder to folks listening, if you haven't already, to subscribe. Uh, we're available on every major platform, and subscribing is the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our content throughout the offseason because we'll be popping back on here as we get into free agency and the draft. But I think, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the main story with the Giants right now is that, A, the coaching staff is finally coming into focus, as you mentioned there. And unlike last year, when just about the entire staff, besides some promotions, right, Dayball's entire staff from the one he assembled when he was hired was back last year. But that's not the case this season, obviously. There's a lot of new faces. They've been interviewing. It's been a process, especially at defensive coordinator. And isn't that the top story, right? We have a new defensive coordinator because Wink Martindale is out after a really messy divorce from Dayball and the Giants. Shane Bowen is in after the Giants kind of failed to reel in their top choices earlier in the process, as you guys talked about on Giants Wire. And I know from your stuff, Dan, on the site that you think all of this is connected, right? The stuff between Dayball and Wink, and then this really long and drawn-out search for a defensive coordinator, that's all connected, right? I mean, yes, but I, I, I don't, there are so many people that don't view it that way for some reason that it's, it's almost a little bizarre, but it's kind of a tangled web. But I think it's pretty evident that there were issues in the hiring process following that ugly divorce. And it, it did stem from, you know, perception issues when not only when it just comes to Dayball, but when it, you know, comes to the Giants organization as a whole, their front office. You know, you saw the reports of Bill Belichick warning assistants not to come to this team because of the front office structure is a mess. It's nothing like it was under Wellington Mara. Um, and I think that's a fair criticism. You know, nepotism within the Giants organization has long been a problem. I know that John Mara himself has kind of poo-pooed that and was angry a few years ago um, when that became paramount and, and a major concern outside of the organization. He can deny it all he wants to, but structurally, that's been a problem for the Giants and continues to be a problem for the Giants. Um, and then, of course, you have the perception from the whole Wink Dayball divorce, and you kind of had people split sides initially and we haven't recorded a podcast since that initial split, but I think the vast majority of giants fans, outsiders, analysts, and, you know, insiders and media personalities have kind of met in the middle a little bit more now and, and, and come to the realization that um, they were two very egotistical, uh, you know, high motor kind of coaches that just kind of clashed and that, you know, two sides are to blame for that. Not necessarily, necessarily the one side that everyone wanted it to be um, initially. And that spilled over, like you said, into the defensive coordinator search, and not just the defensive coordinator search, some of the other assistant turnover. You know, there were, you know, assistant coaches that left for lateral moves. Mike Kafka, 
after his two interviews with the Seattle Seahawks for their head coaching position, he was passed over, obviously. But they wanted to interview him and, and subsequently hire him as their offensive coordinator, and he was willing to accept that interview, uh, but the Giants blocked it. So it does speak volumes about not only where the Giants organization is as a whole, but again, where the coaching staff is and you know the, the influence and the impact that that's had on this coaching search and the coaching turnover. Yeah, it's just such a different vibe, right? You go from Dayball getting coach of the year, playoff berth, road playoff win, the coaching staff comes back intact, and now this. Uh, Bowen, as the defensive coordinator, he is one of, I think, five notable new hires on the staff, Dan. Previously the defensive coordinator for the Titans the past three seasons under Vrabel. Uh, when I think about Titans defenses, and I know you've talked a little bit with guys from the Titans wire, right? I think there's a lot of similarities to what Bill Belichick does with the Patriots and Vrabel, obviously. He didn't coach under Belichick in his career, but he played under Belichick and won Super Bowls with Belichick on his defense. I think of defenses that are stingy in the red zone, uh, good in terms of scoring defense, right? Like points allowed, but not so much in yards allowed. And the Titans have been notoriously terrible in, against the pass. They let up a lot of yards in, the, in mm-hmm. the passing game. But they're good against the run, like Belichick's teams always are. Again, stingy in the red zone. And, you know, that's kind of what you get with uh, with Bowen, right? That's what the Titans have been. So the hope is that this kid can come in here. He's young. I think he's 37 or going to be 38 or whatever it is. And the hope is that he can grow with the Giants and kind of build on what they've got there, right? This is – the Giants should be a good job on defense, shouldn't it? I mean, there's a lot of talent there on that side of the ball, young talent too. Uh, and the Giants had their moments on defense for sure under Wink. Uh, but it, I think it, it still comes back to the fact that you're so right. Dayball, we said in our last podcast, we said he's being an a-hole, and I was kind of ranting about that. And then you stopped me and said, well, wait a minute. Wink can kind of run hot too, right? So we were having that conversation, and I think the conclusion is that they were both kind of a-holes, and the fact that it didn't work out, maybe it's not on one singular person in that relationship, Dan. I think it's it's kind of on both of them, right? Wink is a good coach. I thought he was uh, an interesting guy. I loved listening to his press conferences. You know, he was just kind of a, an interesting guy to cover and have on the team. And the defense was good. Uh, so that's a loss, losing him. We're not sure if Shane Bowen's going to be a gain. Uh, but what do you think about the hire, Shane Bowen? I know you guys wrote about him not being the first choice for the Giants necessarily. But he's the guy, young guy, hard to hate it, right? There's some things to like about him. Well, it certainly could be worse. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think there is a level of concern when you consider the reporting that he wasn't necessarily their first or even their second or possibly even their third choice. And that is a bit of a red flag. But that's not necessarily reflective of Bo, and that's more reflective of the Giants coaching staff and Brian Dayball. Um, as, as far as, as, as Bowen, you know, individually, you know, he's a solid coach. Uh, you know, the Titans wire guys basically told me what you had just mentioned that, you know, it's very New England-esque in terms of production and ranking and approach. They're good against a run. They're good in the red zone. Um, you know, they're they're good when it comes to points allowed. Basically, and, and this is the way Mike Moriatis, who is the managing editor of Titan Wire, told me, uh, they're trash in between the 20s and then they're great in the red zone. So there it is. Um, I think that's kind of, you know, and, and those were his words, by the way. Those were not my words. <laughs> so that, that was uh, verbatim. And, um, you know, and that's that's great. No, that's well and good. Um, the problem with that is, is the personnel that the Giants currently have was built around Wink Martindale's system and Bowen's system is you know, I wouldn't say significantly different, but 
you know, different enough that it's noticeable and they'll need to adjust that personnel. Uh, specifically, they're going to need to find another edge rusher because Boeing relies more heavily on organic pressure than the blitzing pressure that Wink Martindale constantly brought, which was really their major means of ex- uh, success this past season. So the Giants are, are going to have to adapt on the fly and adjust to that. And, you know, and I think I said this on the last podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I, I said don't be surprised if the Giants go with an edge rusher early in the draft. Uh, I think that could be a surprise pick. And now with this defensive coordinator hire, I think that could be the case um, even more at this point because they need desperately somebody else to help create pressure alongside Kayvon Thibodeau. And they're obviously going to need a lot of help in the secondary. That's been an issue. I can't help but wonder now if Adoree Jackson does return, however, because, you know, he he's kind of from that Tennessee Titans defense. He's kind of from that style. He has familiarity with Bowen and the others in the building now. So, you know, you could look for the Giants to bring him back because it's kind of a familiar piece and he'll be able to help coach up the younger guys. But um, it would be great if they could go back out and get Leonard Williams and bring him back because I think that would be an ideal fit. But ultimately, the Giants are really going to need to adjust the defensive personnel to, you know, benefit this defense uh, that's coming in a little bit more. So I I would definitely keep an eye on that either in free agency or early in the draft because that's what Bowen's going to need to have success in New York. You know, I think you're going to be talking to the Titans wire guys a lot, Dan, because we have Bowen here. Uh, the Titans' former offensive coordinator last season, Tim Kelly, is now the tight ends coach for the Giants. So we have heavy influence from the Titans on offense and defense. And meanwhile, we got Mike Vrabel out there, who's rumored to be the top candidate for the Cowboys' defensive coordinator job. So could have just brought Vrabel in, right, and just had the just in the New York Titans, right? Just could have brought Vrabel in here. <laughs> have you seen the reports that Vrabel's physical build was a factor in him not landing another head coach job? I find that kind of fascinating. What? No, I didn't. Yeah. I honestly did not Appar- see that. <laughs> Apparently Vrabel's, too, his pecs are too big, and that's why he's not getting a head coach opportunity <laughs> uh, after he was fired uh, by the Titans. Right. But the, the point of that comment is just, what's your, what's, what's your feeling on the pulse of the fan base, Dan, based on what you've seen? Uh, are they in on this hire? Again, Shane Bowen's a young guy. Would they want? Would they have wanted a more established coach like you know the big names that were floating around out there? Vrabel, uh, you know Bill Belichick's Wilson. name, yeah, well, yeah, Wilson. No, as well. Denard Wilson was the one they wanted, yeah. That's yeah, from the Rams. that's most definitely the one that, yeah. And listen, as far as the Bowen hire, it was the reaction that I saw was mixed, but not so heavily to the point where there was, you know, the glass half empty fans that, you know, throwing remotes and lighting things on fire. It wasn't like to that level. Um, the Tim Kelly hire, I think is universally praised. I think that I personally, I think that's a great hire too. And I think that most fans, you know, kind of saw it that way. I think most analysts kind of see it that way too. Actually, that's kind of a steal when you get a guy of, you know, his experience, you know, to coach your tight ends who, you know, need work. I mean, obviously the giants have struggled in that area for a little while now. Um, you know, they lack consistency there. They've had injury there. That's a whole other, you know, topic of conversation. But um, to get someone with his level of experience, you know, he's a former pass game coordinator. He's been an offensive coordinator in multiple places. He did coach, you know, the tight ends previously. He's been a quality control coach. So, you know, he has a good spread of experience. And I think that's going to be very beneficial to the Giants. Um, and also potentially, you know, gives them their offensive coordinator and waiting if Mike Kafka departs after next season, that's assuming that the entire staff doesn't get booted after next season. Um, so both short-term and long-term, I think that was a good hire. And again, going back to Bowen, you know, there was no sky is falling reaction to it. There was obviously concern and legitimate concern. I feel that the Giants missed out on reportedly missed out on their top targets. Um, and, you know, 
the speculation with that was is that you know pretty much what I just said is that they kind of feared that it's a one and done scenario because the Giants and, and Dayball particularly are going to enter next season immediately on the hot seat. Things are going to have to change, um, you know, whether they like that or not and whether fans want to accept that or not because of, you know, the negative optics that they've experienced this offseason for, you know, a variety of reasons, primarily due to Dayball's, you know, running hot as, as hot as he does and, and kind of having conflicts with coaches. But I also think the benefit of hiring the likes of Kelly and Bowen is that these guys are younger coaches. They're not long-term veteran coaches, despite, you know, their lengthy resumes. Uh, you know, they're not in their late forties, not in their early fifties or even closer to their sixties. So they're going to be more accepting of Dayball's MFers than <laughs> yes. a guy like Wink Martindale obviously was going to. So um, I, I think that actually, and, and maybe people aren't even considering that, but I think that's something that will benefit the Giants, as it relates to these hires, I think that's a great point. Yeah, they're they're more they're more likely to uh, take uh, a Brian Dayball undressing, right? They're not, they're not going to freak out and storm out like uh, like Wick Martindale did. So I think it's a great point. It's just fascinating. Like Denard Wilson, who uh, interviewed with the Giants twice, and obviously he's a hot candidate. You know, Ravens defensive backs coach. Anyone linked to that defense is probably uh, you know on the rise, I would say, especially yeah. young coaches. Yeah. But he ends up leaving for the Titans. And then the Giants bring in yeah. the Titans guys. You know, it's just like a weird There, There situation. is iron. Yeah, there's yeah. irony there. Yeah. There is. It's just, and, it's, then, and then on top of that, the Titans are interviewing Thomas McGahee for their special teams coordinator role. So. Yeah, well, that would be something. That would be something. <laughs> yeah, and that's, so, that's, another, that's another big hire for the Giants, right? This uh, Michael Gobriel, uh, assistant special teams coach with the Jets for the last three seasons. Dan, usually we let the people out there, the – the people that want to talk about special teams, we let them do that on their own time. You want to talk kickers and punters and gunners and all that stuff. We let them do it on their own time. But uh, I think when you look at the Jets, uh, knowing nothing about Michael Gobriel, to be honest with everybody listening and you, Dan, sorry, I didn't prepare well enough for that special teams guy. But when I look at the Jets, they couldn't score to save their lives, but their defense and special teams were solid. Uh, maybe even among the best in football. Yeah, their, their special teams was arguably good. Like, good. Um but here's the problem with that is that the Jets didn't deal with the same they, listen, they had plenty of their own injury issues, no doubt about it. But they didn't have that level of lacking depth and that level of injury. Um, and, and perhaps more than any other unit on a football team, that level of injury impacts the special teams because it's a constant turnover cycle. And I'm not listen, I'm not trying to dismiss the shortcomings of the special teams unit in recent years. Uh, but I don't think that McGahee was quite at the same level of fault as some would have you believe. And I don't necessarily know what that means um, for any incoming coordinator. Um, you know, Gobriel did wonders with the players that he had, and I believe that he could do the same with the Giants. But when you look at the Giants special teams from last year, the players that were in there consistently on special teams, Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, Jamie Gillen, um, you know, Graham Gano prior to his actually he he was a little sketchy prior to that injury, but that was due to playing with the injury. But you know, going back a year, he was solid. Casey Kreider arguably should have been in the Pro Bowl as a long snapper. So the guys that were in there consistently, McGay he did a good job with. Now Gobriel can most certainly do the same thing with those same guys, but the challenge that he's going to face is the same one that McGay he faced, and that's whether or not you can find the level of health and consistency that you need on special teams to produce on the field and have a good unit run out there every single week. He benefited 
uh, with the Jets more so than the Giants did, la- or more so than McGahee did last year with the Giants when it comes to injuries. So that's going to be his biggest challenge. Uh, you know, and again, he's going to have to rely heavily on Joe Shane for that because you're going to need to add depth to almost every single position like that. And listen, that's not specific to special teams. That's been an issue that we've discussed in this podcast for two years now, probably even longer than that, really, because the Giants have had personnel deficiencies for as far back as I can remember at this point. So they're desperately going to need to fill out almost every single position. And that's something that Joe Shane has admitted himself. They have needs at every position. Uh, So in order to have special team success, it doesn't really matter who the coordinator is. You need to find that health and you need to have that depth. So he could very much run into the same problems that McGee did a year ago, or or maybe the Giants get lucky and they finally turn the corner on the injuries. And and then, you know, we can see what he's made of because obviously he's had success elsewhere. So Again, I, I wouldn't call that necessarily an even move. I don't know. We'll we'll find out over time, but it's certainly not a bad hire. Time will tell. Is it an upgrade? We're not sure. But I think the three main uh, coordinator jobs, right, special teams with the new guy and, and Mike Go- uh, Gobriel, I'm sorry, uh, the defensive coordinator, which I think defense was your the strength of your team uh, last season, which you know was a tough year, but defense was a strength. But Wink Martindale's gone. We, we now add Shane Bowen. And then our offensive coordinator is back, Mike Kafka. But you have to wonder about that relationship as well, Dan. I just want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier in the show when you were when you're talking about the coaches. Kafka was blocked for interviewing uh, for a lateral move with the Seahawks, right? You mentioned that he, he yep. had interviewed for their head coach role. The belief was the Seahawks were targeting him as the OC. Uh, and the Giants blocked him. And then you told me before we hit record that he might not be the play caller anyway, and Mike uh, Brian Dayball might take that over. So uh, mm-hmm. we know what happened with Wink Martindale and and Dayball and the Giants. Should we worry about Mike Kafka being in a similar situation? What's the relationship like there? What's your what's your feelings on that? Well, the vast majority of reports suggest that it's not particularly the best relationship in the world. Um, again, he's a younger guy, and you know he's taken it for two years, and apparently he's he's pure willing to take it for a third year. Uh, even if he was willing to take a lateral move um, elsewhere. But, you know, it's it's troublesome. And, again, I, it just goes back to Tom Coughlin days. Like, Dave, listen, Brian Dayball is a solid coach, and he has the ability to be a very good coach. The problem is he's got to manage these relationships better than he has. So he has to take a page out of Tom Coughlin's book and kind of ease up a little bit. Like, you could still be the same guy. You could be true to yourself and and how you approach things without exploding in the way that you do that. It kind of ruins not just the relationships, but the entire feel in the building. You know, he, he goes on and on all the time about how they, they want to create this identity and they want to be this very specific blue-collar New York team, and that's all well and good. And, and listen, part of that explosion is New York. You know, that's just how New Yorkers are. So, I mean, he's certainly true to that, but you cannot burn the bridges to the point where your guys are unhappy uh, because that unhappiness leaks into everything that they do. And it's very clear from the reporting that Mike Kafka is unhappy and it's a relationship that Dable is going to have to repair. And I don't think the way to do that is to strip Mike Kafka of the play calling while you block him from a potential move where he would be a play caller. Um, So that's something the Giants are most certainly going to have to address. And um, I don't know if, if Dayball is going to be willing to hand back over the play calling duties to Kafka. Obviously there have been reports that he stripped them of play calling duties multiple times throughout last season and really kind of just gave them to random assistant coaches at times. If those reports are true, Um, that is not a way to build confidence in a young coach. So 
I do think that that's going to be something that you have to keep a very careful eye on um, throughout training camp, the preseason, early in the regular season, because if that relationship is not repaired and Dable doesn't reel it in a little bit, that could create a very long-term problem. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. Um, and speaking of uh, trying to, you know, keep things, hold things together, um, offensive line. You know, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We have an offensive, a new offensive line hire as well, Dan. Obviously, uh, Bobby Johnson fired. They bring in Carmen Brasillo. I don't know a ton about Brasillo, but I do know a little bit about him because I'm a Patriots fan. And, and he was kind of the solution in New England after the O-line guru, Dante Scarnecchia, retired. Dante Scarnecchia was among the probably the best offensive line coaches in history when you look at what he was able to do, the Super Bowls, the Patriots won. Uh, and I think Brasillo, I don't know if he was the guy right away after Scarnecchia retired, but he had a, a key role and then he had, he had the role um, and ended up leaving with Josh McDaniels for Vegas. So he was one of Josh McDaniels' guys. That's why Brasillo comes over from Vegas. And I just think one thing to note, Josh McDaniels, I'm sure people out there uh, have perceptions about McDaniels. I, I certainly think he's a disaster as a head coach. And so uh, all of that is well and good and true. But I believe he's a really, really good offensive coordinator. And I think he's especially good, Dan, at like incorporating those pass-blocking concepts into his scheme. I think that's something McDaniels does really, really well. The Patriots, a staple of their offense going back to the Brady days, and even with Mac Jones when in that one year uh, McDaniels was in New England, they set the protection at the line, and it's a key part of the offense. And I, my question, because I always, I always question lateral moves, although I don't know if this is necessarily a lateral quote-unquote move for Brasillo because there was some uncertainty with the Raiders head coach, right? Were they going to keep Antonio Pierce? Were they going to go in another direction? So, you know, coaches are going to leave when there's uncertainty. So I don't, I'm not necessarily going to call this a lateral move, but, you know, a lateral move, go from one team's offensive line coach to the next, uh, that always pops up a flag for me. But I'm not going there with this because of the uncertainty with Antonio Pierce at, at the time. But was, was Brasillo's success there more a McDaniels thing, right? Was that kind of a thing or was it Brasillo? And I think that's the one thing that I'm, Interested to find out, is he the guy to turn the offensive line around to, uh, to coach these guys up and figure it out? This is, this is a big job. This is a big job and a big hire. What do you think about it? Well, I think it's one of those things where we're only going to know when we know. Um, listen, the Giants have gone through I – I couldn't even count off the top of my head how many offensive line coaches they've gone through in the last several seasons, through the last several coaches and regimes and – the changes that have made in season, you know, the whole Mark Colombo madness with Joe Judge and, uh, and you know, the failures of Bobby Johnson. And it's just been one mess after the other. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the that's the most honest way that you could put it. If you if you're covering the Giants or if you're a Giants fan or, you know, anything of the sort, it's just you won't know until you know, because the Giants have had offensive line issues for over a decade. It's an issue that for whatever reason, they just cannot seem to figure out no matter who the general manager is, no matter who the head coach is, no matter who the offensive coordinator is, no matter who the offensive line coach is. So he certainly has his hands full coming in. Like, is he the guy that can finally fix this problem? It would be certainly wonderful if he is. Um, I'm not a betting man, but if I was one, I wouldn't make a bet on it because no one has been able to fix this problem so far. Um, And and the Giants consistently remain one of the worst offensive lines in football. And it just seems like for whatever reason, much like the injuries, it's just something that has cursed this team and is never going to change. So he he certainly has a massive mountain to climb coming to East Rutherford at this point. Uh, But I could tell you this, 
if he's the guy that does fix the Giants' offensive line, he's going to be headed on to much bigger and better things down the line. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, to, two things to, to take to the bank if you're a betting man, right? Number one, do not bet against Patrick Mahomes. Just stop it. If you're thinking about betting on the 49ers, just don't do it. Just bet, just, just bet the Chiefs, please. And number two, never bet that the, the Giants are going to figure out how to block on the offensive line because that never seems to happen. Yes. So those are two things you can <laughs> take to the bank. It, it, it's, it's terrible because it wasn't, you know, well, it was that long ago. For some of us that lived through those two Super Bowls, it doesn't feel like that long ago. But, you know, they, they had a dominant offensive line in once upon a time. And it's like, what in the world happened to that? And, you know, you see all these mock drafts about how they could potentially take you know, an offensive lineman first over, you know, in the first round of, of the draft. And, and yeah. maybe they do. Uh, but again, like how much do they need to invest personnel wise in that position before they finally get it right? So that kind of leads you to believe that it is coaching specific. But then again, like the players, the turnover has been so significant there. It's like the odds are that eventually it would have gone right one way or another. And the Giants are just defying all odds consistently season by season when it comes to both their offensive line and their offensive line coach. So, you know, more power to them. I don't know necessarily if I wouldn't have waited on, on returning to Vegas and then taking the job with the Giants. Uh, but, you know, he certainly has belief in himself and, and maybe that's that's all anybody needs, I suppose. So we'll, we'll see if it works out. Again, like I said before, it's going to be one of those things where you only know when you know. And uh, the Giants do have a lot of work to do on that offensive line. They, they've got a lot of issues. And I, I personally don't feel like they're any closer to figuring those out, um, that they need a significant amount of personnel. They need much more depth. Listen, we can go back to our offseason podcast last year talking about how the Giants were making mistakes by getting rid of people like Tyree Phillips because they just didn't have enough depth to overcome those things. And then, sure enough, you know, the season comes along, Andrew Thomas get hurt. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you got no offensive tackles now. So you're shifting guys out to guard, you know, I mean, out to tackle that were playing guard and you're bringing in guys off the couch to start at guard. You've got a rookie center who can't seem to figure out the snap count for some reason. And Evan Neal is not progressing to any degree whatsoever. And it's just like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's almost unbelievable in the fact that the Giants just even haven't even lucked into uh, a better production from their offensive line because the law of odds would tell you that it should have happened by now. I think he made a great point on Brasillo. He took he took the challenge, right? It'd be easy to stick around in Vegas where you're comfortable and you know, and it's Vegas for crying out loud. Uh, but he's taking on the challenge. He he came to the Giants laterally to take on this challenge. So maybe that's something to feel mm-hmm. good about. And I just I was going to say, just think about it. You know, imagine that he's the guy that finally, after more than a decade, fixes the Giants' offensive line. If that happens. He's not going to be back in 2025 because someone else is going to hire to a better position because it's going to be like, holy cow, he did something that literally no one else has been able to do. There must be more to this guy. So true. He'll be an offensive coordinator at least um, if that happens. But just for and there's a lot of uncertainty to your point. We don't know. uh, And it's hard to predict. And yeah, the Giants continued. They've invested so much in the offensive line in the draft and maybe they'll continue to do it. We'll, We'll find out. Uh, is he the guy or not? Who knows? But I will say this. Brasillo was under the right kind of guys in New England. Again, Dante Scarnecchia, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels. These guys uh, can coach up the offensive line. And the Patriots were really solid when Brasillo was in that role in Mac Jones's first year a couple years ago. And they got worse when he left with McDaniels to Vegas. The Patriots had a horrible offensive line this past season. So the offensive line was good when Brasillo was there, and it sucked when he left. So 
maybe there's hope there. Uh, but again, we we do not know. Uh, and speaking of the Patriots, Dan, did you did you see that they're hiring Ben McAdoo as an, an advisor on offense? I don't know if you have a, a thought on that. I'm, I'm I sure. Have- Giants did, fans must love see seeing that. that this come up. Giants fans can't, you know, they can't take a break, <laughs> including you, right? Like Ben McAdoo's back in. So these, you know, the old uh, Francesa rants are coming out about McAdoo. <laughs> and uh, Kadarius Tony is is blaming Giants fans for oh, his rants. You know Lord. what I mean? You can't How take a break. Not... <laughs> what do you think about that, Dan? Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to think about it, honestly. Like there was, a, listen, you, you've heard me rag on Kadarius Tony quite a bit, you know, over the last year or so. But listening to him during Super Bowl media week, there was honestly a part of me that just felt bad. This kid needs a mental health check. And I'm not saying that to be insulting by any stretch of the imagination. Mental health is a very important thing. And there needs to be someone in Kadarius, Tony's corner, that says to him, dude, you got to stop. You you cannot keep doing this. You're going to wreck your career. You're going to ruin. I would say ruin your reputation, but your reputation's already been ruined. Uh, you've you've got to like again. With it's like the same thing with Dayball. There's got to be someone in this corner that says you got to reel this in. You, you can't keep doing this. Like you're in the Super Bowl and you're claiming that you're worried about Giants fans. Like <laughs> so bad. your mind's not in the right. Your mind's not in the right place if that's the case. Like and and let's be honest. That's that's absolutely not what was going on with that viral rant that he made. It was very clearly directed at the chiefs. You know, he claimed it was chopped up. You're the one who recorded it and posted the damn thing. Like, how is it chopped up? Like, it's not chopped up. Wasn't like, it live too? It was live. So you don't chop it It was, up. it was live. It was, it was a live stream. So like, again, there, there needs to be someone in, the, in this guy's corner that says, you know, Tony, you, you gotta get it together. You, you need to go see someone. You, you need some help. And again, it's it's not an insult. It's it's genuine. You, you, somebody needs to help him because he's completely off his rocker. It's I, I can't help but go back to Gettleman. You know, like we've tried to give Gettleman a little bit of props here and there, especially when the Giants had their good season last year. Uh, but for the Giants to do their research on Kadarius Tony and talk to him, and be like, "Yep." This is the guy. <laughs> it's like, oof. it goes back to that regime, man. Wow, that that pick. I know you got some compensation back for him a little bit, but, whew, boy, that was a miss. That was a swing and a miss. Darius yeah, I would have. I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for those pre-draft interviews. <laughs> could you imagine? Like, get him and come out and be like, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy. I just The thing is, is like, when you go back in time now and you look at it, his very first rookie minicamp practice, you knew it was going to be a problem. Seriously, if you go back and look at it now, he had the wrong cleats. Remember that, that the whole cleats, thing? The cleats, yes, yeah, yeah. That was his very, that was his very first, his literal first time on the field in a Giants uniform, and he was just having all kinds of crazy issues. And he immediately, immediately attacked members of the media after they had questioned that, and it was just all downhill from there. Like it yep. never recovered from minicamp practice number one on on. It, it, it was just a disaster for him. And and now, again, he's about to go potentially play in the Super Bowl. He's not on the injury report all of a sudden. And he's on there, you know, before the AFC Championship game screaming, going crazy, and then decides to blame it on Giants fans? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, guy. I hope you get better. I really do. The Giants just can't stay out of the news. Again, Ben McAdoo, Kadarius Tony. It's supposed to be the offseason, Dan. Uh, you're supposed to be going on vacation. What's going on here? It never ends. No, it doesn't. It, never it does ends. not end. It never ends with the Giants. Like, there's always something going on with the Giants. It's just, I don't, you know, that's what that's the nature of the beast, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, the Kadarius Tony stuff is wild. <laughs> ben McAdoo going to the Patriots. Like, I hope it works out for How him. should I, I feel about that, Dan? Too, I'm, I'm a Patriots I, would, I was fan. just going to. How should I feel about I was this? just going to say, 
I would not be particularly thrilled with that hire if I were a <laughs> Patriots fan. But oh god, you know, as, listen, if he shows up in a suit that fits him properly, it's a, it's a, <laughs> at least a better step in the right direction. Does he still have the mustache? That's one thing I want to know. Probably, oh, Lord, I have no, I'm sure he does. It's the suit you got to be. I don't know if you remember that his introductory press conference with the Giants. He wore a suit that was three times too big for him. <laughs> I'll have to go look that up. That's yeah, is, you should. It was bad. Uh, you want to end with some a thought on the Super Bowl, Dan? Who who do you got? Who do you got? You, is it the 49ers time or do you got the Chiefs? What do you think? Listen, as a long time, lifelong Giants fan, the last thing I ever want to do is root for the San Francisco 49ers, right? But between Kadarius, Tony, Travis Kelsey, and Taylor Swift, I, I'm i going to have to root for the San Francisco 49ers. And I, I really hope that they win this game. I, I don't know that they will. It's like you said earlier, don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Um, and, and there is a part of me that wants to root for Steve Spagnuolo, too. You know, got nothing but love for that guy. Um, you know, I think he deserves another chance as a head coach. And maybe if they win the Super Bowl, he'll get that opportunity in the near future. He certainly deserves it. Uh, but again, I, I can't bring myself, I just, even for Spags, I just can't bring myself to root for him. Um, I'm not looking forward to three and a half, four hours of Taylor Swift uh, <laughs> montages and discussion and camera pans and reactions and all that nonsense. So I do think that the Chiefs are going to win, but please, Lord, let the 49ers win this game just so we don't have to endure any more of that. I'm I'm on it for different reasons, and I'd actually like. I have I love Patrick Mahomes. I want to hate him so bad, but I can't. I just I I I really like him. But the whole like people calling him the goat already, right? Saying that he's past Brady, he's he's past Montana already. No, like no, all this stuff, it drives me no. crazy as a Patriots fan. Obviously. It, it does. It drives me crazy. And, and Mahomes, I want to just like give him credit because he came. They were asked about. He said, "Hey, Patrick, do you think you're the goat now?" And he's like, "I'm not even halfway there. I don't know if I can get to seven. That's that's a long way away." So he literally says it's measured by the Super Bowl win. So I think he's got a great head on his shoulders, and it's his success is is amazing to this point. But it would be yeah. very annoying if if he wins another one, and the Chiefs are basically the Patriots dynasty. They're infringing on the dynasty, Dan. And I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long that's going to last. I really don't. I don't think it's going to be Patriots like. Listen, the odds of that happening are are slim to none. I think we all know that the Patriots were a one-of-a-kind dynasty. The Yankees were a one-of-a-kind dynasty. Those types of things just don't happen in modern sports. They just, they simply don't. Are they going to, you know, be competitive? You know, of course they are. I think, you know, they're going to be talented for as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback there. And, and speaking of Patrick Mahomes, kudos to him because he apparently is the only person in his entire family that has a level head. And, and I don't know, yeah. I don't know where the genes split and what happened there, but he's the only one in that whole family that seems to have it together. So, it is difficult to root against him, but it's not difficult to root against those he surrounded himself with. So whether that was intentional or, or coincidental, like it has been with Taylor Swift, but um, it's easy to understand why the vast majority of, of America is starting to grow tired of all things Kansas City Chiefs. And and really, none of that has to do with Patrick Mahomes himself, uh, but that is just the nature of the business. Well, I get it, man. I, I People are hating on the Patriots. I'm like, how, how can you guys just hate on greatness like this? But again, it was... Brady, it was Giselle, it was all the same crap with the Patriots and their dynasty. So I, I get it now. I get it. Screw you, Chiefs. Go 49ers. As painful as that is to say, but as much I'm with you, Dan. I'm rooting for the Niners, but I think the Chiefs are going to win because I just I've seen this movie before. I've just seen it, and the Chiefs they take all year to get their act together, and then it comes winning time, and all of a sudden they're they look like the best team in football again. They've looked better than the 49ers in these playoffs. Uh, I I love the 49ers roster, but you know Kyle Shanahan, man. 
kind of a choking dog, right? His teams are. I mean, he was the offensive yeah. coordinator for the Falcons, 28-3 to against the Patriots. He goes to the San Francisco. They had a 10-point lead in a Super Bowl, blew it in the fourth quarter. I remember I bet on them, so I was pretty pissed when they blew that one. Uh, so uh, I'm not betting on the 49ers this time. My money would be on the Chiefs, uh, especially for giving me sure. points. But um, Any given Sunday, though, that's the thing. And let's just, you know, this Chiefs team is not the same Chiefs team that has been the, you know, the quote-unquote start of that dynasty because, you know, although they've looked better in the playoffs, this was a really – seriously inconsistent team throughout the entire regular season, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. The reason that they're in the Super Bowl right now, that they made it this far, is because of their defense, and it is because of Steve Spagnuolo. That's yes. that's the reality of it. And that's not a knock on Patrick Mahomes or anybody. It is most certainly a knock on the personnel around him, however, because um, you know, in, in, in very typical Giants-like fashion, they've let him down uh, considerably this season at times, and and you know, who knows? You know, that, that could very well happen um, you know, in the Super Bowl, because the identity of a team doesn't generally change um, to that degree when it comes to playoff and Super Bowl time. I mean, you could certainly name some teams where that has happened that, you know, and I hate to do this to you, but the 2007 New York Giants oh, certainly come to mind as a team that changed their identity in the playoffs. But again, that that's that's an exception to the rule and not necessarily the rule itself. So for any 49ers fans that may happen to be listening to this for whatever reason, you should find some calm in that reality. <laughs> Uh, I've been bored, Dan, like, you know, with no football. Uh, you know, what's on NFL Network? Ooh, Super Bowl Classics. What's this? Oh, no, no. Get off my screen, Michael Strayman. <laughs> Get out of here, Eli Manning. I don't want any of this in my life. So, yeah, it's every time I turn on NFL Network, it's something about the Giants beating the Patriots. In the Super so Bowl. It's painful. So it's funny. I, I, I signed on Facebook this morning, and I don't know. Do you have Facebook? I don't know if you do I, or not. I do. I'm, I'm not really on it much, but I, I do have it. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't use it much myself anymore, but I did sign on this morning uh, to post an article, and then I took a look at my memories. And, and it's kind of funny because 12 years ago uh, today, I was standing in the Canyon of Heroes celebrating the New York Giants Super Bowl <laughs> championship team. So Good for you, my friend. Just figured I'd, I'd give you that little tidbit I'm, of information. I'm glad you guys got a couple. I mean, it would be stupid if the Patriots <laughs> won 10 of them. You know, we had to let you guys have something. <laughs> can't win them all, Dan. I'll tell you, that was one of the most amazing experiences in my entire life, particularly as it relates to sports. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl, you know, in 2007, obviously, you know, ranks higher on my list. But I got a front row seat to that parade in the Canyon of Heroes. And let me tell you, that it was one of the wildest things that a person could ever experience. Pretty fun, right? Pretty fun. Yeah, I, it, was, it was incredible. That was a that was quite an experience for a different reason for me. But uh, the 28 to 3 comeback, <laughs> I, I still have that one. 28 to 3 comeback was pretty, pretty, uh, sorry. Pretty awesome, as I swear. <laughs> oh well, if you're listening this long, you get you get yeah you you get to you get to hear us drop an f bomb. We try to keep it clean here on the Giants Wire <laughs> podcast. But uh, Dan, enjoy the Super Bowl, man. It was fun getting back on here and uh, talking Giants with you, man. Yeah, no doubt, man. Have a good time. Enjoy the game. Hopefully, they don't turn it into the Taylor Swift hour again. Um, I don't, I'm not holding my breath on that, unfortunately. But yeah, hopefully, I, I just want it to be a good game. I just want everybody to be able to enjoy a game of football and forget about everything else that's going on in this world. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope if you do bet on it, that you do make some money off of it. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll be back on here soon with some Giants news. There it is. That's Dan Benton. Check him out on Giants Wire. I'm Ryan O'Leary once again. We'll catch you next time.